Welcome to Roar with Sparks. How loud is your roar? I am your host, Kristen Sparks. I am the CEO and founder of Roar Inc. Voices Our Power, communications and connections company. I am a corporate and personal growth facilitator. I am an infinite possibilities and certified success principles trainer, currently working on my master certification for the success principles and my BVC coaching certification. I am a facilitator, author, speaker, and thought leader. I am a cancer, broken heart, body, and soul thriver. 2022 is a power year and all about living our best life. I may live with chronic pain, but I find joy in every day in the act of getting up and having a new day filled with infinite options, opportunities, and possibilities of success. Roar with Sparks, How Loud Is Your Roar is all about you. Come join the conversation as we gather weekly to share wisdom, insight, and value, learning from and giving to each other and our special guests, sending our vibration higher and charging each other up all while having fun. Can't wait to see you here. How loud is your roar? Well, hi, I am Kristen Sparks, the host of Roar with Sparks, and we are back today with an amazing woman. Her name is Kathleen Seeley. She is the CEO and founder of Massively Human. She is an amazing speaker. She is a consultant in the corporate leadership realm. She has a company full of people who are so authentic, so down to earth, so experienced. And she just has this amazing way of bringing a team together more than I have ever seen anyone else do. And I am so excited that she has agreed to be here today. So Kathleen, thank you and welcome. I'm excited to be here. Thank you very much. Yeah. You're so welcome. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I'd add anything more than I have three spawn that I've produced and two animals living in my house. the the three kids don't live here but the animals yeah so that's it yeah you have a son Carson yes and then you have two others I do I have a son Reed who's 23 this year and a daughter Kennedy who's 17 oh my goodness wow Carson I have met I have had the pleasure of working with and he's amazing I understand that Reed is a singer yes he's a hip-hop singer hip-hop singer he's so good he just had his first tour and yeah he's just like going for it and i love that he was a growing up just an outstanding dancer and i wish he would have pursued that but i've learned that your kids do what they want (laughs) (laughs) right yeah No matter how much we want to direct them, they have their own journey and they are going to do it the way they want to. They will. Yeah. And then Kennedy is off to college this fall. She's going to a place called McGill in Montreal, Quebec in Canada. And she wanted a French speaking university and she's, she had it on her vision board since she was in ninth grade and she got accepted. So it's really great. So I'm an empty nester come September. Yeah. And you're going to do some traveling, I understand. I am. I'm going to consciously design my empty nest. (laughs) I love that. That's awesome. (laughs) Uh, It's a very strange thing. You have kids, right? I do. I have three. Yeah. And uh, they're gone, aren't they? 
Uh, yes. Yeah. Two of them have children of their own and one of them lives here in Sarasota, but does not live with me. Yeah. It's a strange feeling that came upon me when I realized she's going away. I was like, I don't have to negotiate a schedule with anyone because I was divorced. So I had to go 50, 50 with her dad. And it's, it's like, I have this freedom. So I'm going to Texas for three months right away in September. I'm just going to go on a walkabout for maybe nine months or so. That is very cool. That is very cool. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean, that that whole X and having to negotiate the time and, and all of that. It's It does really pin down your schedule so much more than even, you know, owning your own business, which we both know as being entrepreneurs, that that's a tough schedule in and of itself. But it does offer this, this whole freedom that you get to choose what you want to do today, tomorrow, and next week. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> kind of. Like, I think I agree with that. I think in the beginning, though, I did anything. It was really driven by I need to make money. But also what I look back and I say, well, it was really about finding what I loved. And, you know, with age and wisdom and experience, I can say no to certain things in a very fully embodied way. (laughs) (laughs) You did yours a little differently than I did. Um, I think you did yours with much more intention. Mine was more the universe knocking me over and saying, you're going to do this. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) I envy you that piece of intention. So I have definitely changed the way that I do things in my life. And it's much more intentional now than it used to be. And it's a learned behavior, learned habit that I didn't even realize was necessary in my life until after I got older and and after the accident. So, you know, how did you learn to be so intentional? Well, First, I love that you think I am. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. What I know now and through the sort of building my business, the first part of my business, I was married. So I sort of had this safety net and then I wasn't and I didn't have anything except me. So a very different energy kicked in for a while there. But I've always gone with how do I want to feel? And when I take a contract and it didn't feel right, I would finish the work. But I would know that that's not a person or a space I want to be in. But going forward, I guess I'd say the last six or seven years have been more, I I would use the word intentional of who do I want to work with? Who do I want to impact? What do I want to do with my brain, my intellectual capacity? And what kind of lifestyle do I want to have? And those are the factors that go into what's next. And then, you know, COVID certainly changed a lot of, the speed of intention, maybe. I don't know. I don't know if that's the right, maybe that's a book title there. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I completely understand that. It, it really does. You know, you, you have to, I think everybody, I know for me, it was a, a sit back and go, okay, what is really important to me at this point? What is not important to me? And, you know, how do I want to live my life? It was, COVID changed a lot. Like in the first part of it, I was very scared, to be honest. I haven't been scared in a long time because the bulk of my revenue comes from corporate work. And it a lot of it shut down. A couple of clients stayed virtual, but I've always worked with trainers 
and coaches and I've been teaching online for a while. So that part of my business actually thrived <laughs> and took over, but not without sort of this panic of like, what are we going to do? Who am I? And can I pay the people I have on my team? You know, it's interesting how you were able to pivot so quickly. And, you know, a lot of people had no idea what it was to do things virtually. The late 90s, I was involved with distance education with Southeastern Nova University. And at the time, it was a vision of what it is today. We did not have the internet like we have today. We did not have Zoom. We did not have any of those tools. And it really, truly was just a thought process. Okay, if we could do this, then we could do that. And, and to be able to take those tools and pivot so quickly is really amazing and is a testament to your intention and how you run your business. So I give you kudos completely because it was an extremely scary time. Yeah. And I say to anyone, if you have a scary time with what am I going to do technologically, hire a millennial. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> like I just turned all that over, all the figuring it out to Carson. And I knew the content and I know I took uh, advanced degree back in 2009, 10, where it was the early days of blended learning on Moodle, a platform called Moodle, which was so bad. But I sort of knew it was possible, but I didn't really have a great experience with it. And he just really made it all happen. Everything, like from billable documents, who thought that would ever matter? Yeah, no kidding. That's actually an extremely smart thing to have done. You know, I keep, I keep telling my daughter I'm going to hire my 14-year-old grandson to do social media because he is like a whiz, you know, knows everything there, all the ins and the outs. And I ended up hiring my daughter to do some of it with the podcast because she is, she, I guess you would consider her a millennial. She's 30. How old is she this year? Yeah, it sounds like the age you're in there. Yeah. Yeah, she it certainly has a whole lot more understanding of the whole algorithms of Facebook and Twitter and all of that. And I just, I mean, it's like over my head. <laughs> so I, I can build a computer. I built myself a new computer, yeah. but I don't understand the apps that run on a platform anymore. They're just amazing. I just know for sure there's someone that can teach you everything you don't know. And if you don't want to learn it, there's someone who will do it. Exactly. Exactly. I don't put any time into learning stuff I don't want to learn anymore. <laughs> right? Yeah, I had a blast rebuilding the computer and, and getting what I wanted for, you know, the amount of money I wanted to spend. I, I, it's fast. It's fun to watch. It's got all these really cool LED colors on the face. So, you know, it's really kind of neat, but I did not want to go out and buy a gamer's computer for three or $4,000. I just thought that was crazy, but you're right. Hiring a millennial who understands how the technology work, understand how the, you know, the apps work is, is really valuable and learning that we don't have to do it all. I think is probably one of the biggest lessons that I've learned with age is there is someone that can do it and I am better off hiring them than learning it myself. And in talking about that, you've decided to go back to school again. 
I am back in school. I it's funny, that's where my thinking was going when you were just talking about how I have certain I like the word intention is better than rigid ways. I, I'm gonna say it's intention <laughs> rather than control. But I do love to I do love to learn. And what I noticed through COVID is like I used to teach at university a couple of different schools. I have a couple of advanced degrees just because for the love of learning. And then I noticed through the two years that I felt really intellectually starved, to be frank. I do love working with trainers and coaches and all that and teaching people success principles or the Barrett tools or any of that. I love all of that work, but I wasn't learning anything new. I'm teaching people things that I'm proficient in. And I love being in the the sort of front lines of learning. So I'm back at University of British Columbia getting a certificate in organizational coaching and as part of that, I'm getting my, I've avoided this forever, is my ICF credential. And I'm loving it. It's stretching me. It's stressful. It's interesting. Everything I, I expected, it's more. So I'm, I love it. That's awesome. I got my first degree and when I was in my 40s. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Huh. I had gone back to school. Um, and I actually have, it's an associate's degree. It's not even advanced because I, I, the accident happened right at the time that I went into the advanced section, but it's in juvenile justice. Oh, that's interesting. It was, it was extremely interesting. And it was a precursor to psychology, which is where I had focused. And I just found it absolutely fascinating you know, learning on, you know, how the brain works for a 14-year-old versus a 40-year-old, you know, and it really helped me to completely understand what happened to me and why I was the way that I was. It was like, you know, this whole eye-opening experience that opened so many different doors after that. And I think that's what learning is all about is really opening doors and pushing yourself to do something different, to not be afraid of challenge and change. If we're not willing to accept that we don't know it all, if nothing new is coming in, that means nothing new is going out. And I call that kind of dead. People would say it's equilibrium, but it's dead. There's no new energy in, no new energy out. And I I think that as I get older and test sort of the limits of my understanding of concepts, I find out how much I don't know. And I do have moments of, well, you've been to my new class, imposter syndrome, like these moments of who the heck do I think I am? Because I, that feeling was like sort of haunting. I decided to go, well, what is imposter syndrome? And I just want to leverage it into something great because that's the only way you can learn is to feel like a phony or to do new things. And I think that that's, if we can, I mean, like if I was in a beauty contest, they asked the question, you know, when you say I want to, you know, world peace, I think if more people would adopt sort of growth mindset, curiosity, you know, no single right answer kind of perspective on life, I do think we would find more connection than disconnection. Absolutely. I mean, life to me is an adventure. It's all about what is around the corner in front of us. You know, Um, sometimes it's beside us, sometimes it's behind us, sometimes it's, you know, above us, below us. And it's all about that curiosity. I really, oh gosh, you know, it's just such an interesting ride. 
It is. I mean, would you change anything? You know, I don't have regrets. I have things that, you know, maybe I would have done differently knowing what I know now. But back then, no, because I did exactly what I thought was best knowing what I knew then. Because you wouldn't know what you know now. It's like regret or shame or any of that is, I think, gosh, I mean, maybe I would have spent less money on certain things, but probably not. (laughs) Right, exactly. I mean, you know, my whole premise is, is changing that conversation from blame, shame, and guilt. And that's based on the fact that you cannot change the things in the past. What is done is done. You know, I used to say, throw the rearview mirror in the back seat because you really aren't going to be able to use it anyway. I like that. I was watching a show on Netflix with Oprah and she was, gosh, I can't remember the woman's name. She was interviewing, but there was a quote about forgiveness and forgiveness comes when you stop trying to change the past. Yes. And I'm sort of paraphrasing, but to me that was like, oh yeah, like holding on to something about yourself, like guilt or resentment to others, any of that stuff is just because you're wishing that past was different and it's actually not ever going to be. No, it doesn't matter how many times we imagine it being different or, you know, saying, oh gosh, if I had only done this. I remember right after the pandemic happened, there was this memory that I had of a, a certain thing that had happened 30 some years ago. And I've had this memory that has come up every once in a while. And it's one of those things that when you have that imposter syndrome happen, the feeling, the fear or, or, you know, who am I to do this? I couldn't do that kind of thing. This memory would pop up. And I'm having a conversation with my wife and my best friend. And I said, y'all ever think about something that happened 30 years ago and wish that you could change it? And they both looked at me like I'd lost my mind. But you know, what really hit me about that wasn't that I couldn't change it. It was that I didn't even need to worry about it. Why was it taking up space in my head? So then where did you go with that? Because I think that is helpful for people to, how much time are we spending in a place that you can make no difference in, in your mind? Exactly. So I went and decided I wanted to become a coach. And I <laughs> I started taking classes. And then I realized I didn't want to be a coach. Um, oh, really? I really, oh. yeah. <laughs> I really like the group and retreat and speaking a lot more in that realm than I did wanting to do one-on-one coaching. Not that I can't talk to people one-on-one, I do it all the time, but it's not, that wasn't where I wanted to put my focus. But it was like so fascinating to learn the business and to learn the business side of the business of coaching. And my first initial mentor was this wild woman, Megan Jo Wilson. She's great. If you have not ever read any of her books, one of her book was Who the Fuck Am I to Be a Coach? I like her already. Yeah, I know. You will love her. You will love her. She's just phenomenal. And I couldn't have asked for a better mentor to begin with. And from her, I got into oils and I learned, you know, some of that. And then I got cancer. And so things just kind of went haywire. But in that whole realm, I ran into Jan Frazier, who 
introduced me to Jack Canfield. And I had picked up one of his books. Oh gosh, I'm going to say at least 30 years ago and given it to my daughter as a gift. And at the time thought, oh, this has got to be a religious-based book. And that (laughs) wasn't for me, but for her, it was perfect. So I never read it. I never paid any attention to anything else that he did until I had gone through all of this. And Jan said something about the success principles in a writer's workshop that I was in. And so I found that to be kind of interesting. So I picked it up. And while I was going through treatment, started reading it, I fell in love. I fell in love with the success principles because they were so easy to understand and so common sense. It's like, well, yeah, we do have to take 100% responsibility for ourselves or we can't go forward. We can't have that curiosity or the adventure. And then through him, of course, met you, which you have just changed my life. Thank you so much. I appreciate it tremendously. (laughs) I really do. I love Jack. You know, I've worked with him for 13 years. He's amazing. His work is really agnostic. I cut my teeth on people who would have been mentors and guides for him, which is way back with a guy by the name of Will Shoots. And Will Shoots created a program called The Human Element, and he was part of EST in the early days. And EST was sort of the cornerstone, like landmark, and everything has come out of EST, that initial with Warner Earhart. And I was first introduced to stimulus plus response equals outcome. And that blew my freaking mind. Right. Because when I went to this workshop, I mean, I'm from Canada. I had to go to California. It was the dollar was so bad. It was so expensive. It might as well have been a million. It's like 20 some years ago. And I was introduced to this idea that I'm responsible. Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) Let let me tell you my story first. And then maybe you'll change that nice little theory you have. Right. And then I really, that five days changed everything about my life. Nothing was different. Like it's a process, but my thinking, I started to see, well, what if I am responsible? What would I do different? And it was sort of like, it was 25 years ago. That's maybe 27 now. It's a long time ago. Yeah. Cause Carson, my oldest was like three. It is going on 27, 28 years. And I just was like, I can make it anything I want. And that was when I, I sort of more conceptualized I'm responsible. Although I look back in my childhood and a lot of my behavior was self, about self-responsibility, but the context was, my best friend's mom said to me, you could have gone either way because I had a kind of a rough, not rough upbringing. My mom was single parent of six kids, but just the, con- it was really not great. She was great, but it wasn't great. And I could have gone either way. So I had some determination in me, but having that roadmap changed everything. And then Jack just sort of supercharged all that when I met him, but it was Will Schutz and Wayne Dyer were my early um, introduction to personal transformation. My first introduction was John Bradshaw with the Inner Child series back in the, the 90s. Wow, never heard of it. Oh, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing work. It's still so valuable today. I still talk about being able to go in and and really work with my little girl. And, and, you know, I learned through her how to play again. And that's kind of my driving force, you know, so you've got the changing that conversation 
from that blame, shame, and guilt, but also adding that element of play because we don't do enough of that. Have fun. Yes, to really live and get out there and do things that are amazing, even if it's just going for a walk. You know, I did a talk the other day on joy in the quagmire. One of the things that I said was be a tourist in your own town. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, you never go out and see the sights. You know, you're stuck in your house, you're stuck in your job, you're doing all these things, but you're not actually living and enjoying where you're at. And if you can take, you know, a few minutes and go and do that, you know, even if it's one day a week, my wife and I have have made Monday mornings our time. And, you know, whether we're going and getting our nails done or we go down to Selby Gardens or we go to Ringling Museum, we have some amazing sites here in Sarasota. We're so lucky to be able to be in this. I live where people come for vacation and I noticed through COVID, like really honestly, I'm introverted anyway, but I became very a preferential shut-in and I really noticed a difficult time engaging. First of all, I just really didn't want to participate in, I just followed the rules, like, cause I'm kind of a rule follower in some ways and other ways, not at all, but th- I, I was that way, but I noticed I wanted to be with people less and less. And I think I flirted with some depression and just a lot of sadness of, of like, wow, Kathleen, what do you want in your life? And, it, and you said, I'm very intentional. I really kind of regrounded in that. What do I want? Because this isn't what I want. And I was oftentimes alone and just like, what the fuck? (laughs) I'm like an engaging, smart person, but I was just becoming very shut in. So I consciously had to re-engage with the world. And now I do if my friend says, hey, let's go for a cider. You want to take the dog for a walk? Or I'm saying yes more because I know my preference is really solitude, but that's not a happy place. I can be alone and I like to be alone that's part of why I'm going on my road trip is like, I feel like I'm out in the world actively and I don't do anything small. You know, I never hiked before and I did Kilimanjaro. I never ran, ran a marathon. You know, I don't do anything small. So I'm like, I'm shy. So I'm going to go live in Dallas for three months. Right. Now. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that is the fashion capital of Texas. So you will be in some good company there. I'm going to be wearing rhinestones. Yes. Yes. And big hair. Big hair. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I was born in Houston. So Texas is my home. My parents still live there. My stepbrother and his family are in Dallas. My stepsisters are in Austin. So we're all over the, the state. But Dallas was, my father moved there when I was a teenager. And so I went to visit him and got to go to the, oh gosh, I can't remember the name of it, but it's basically the fashion warehouse. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's the first time I'd ever been introduced to shoes and fashion of any kind. I I was like so intimidated. (laughs) I had no idea what this stuff was. You know, that just my household did not really put a whole lot of credence in in shoes and purses. Mm, I like them. Yeah, I do too. I do too. Now the shoes, I'm not so much. I'm I'm a Birkenstock kind of girl now. Um, (laughs) And those are working fine. But um, purses, oh yeah, I can get into some. Now, here's a little secret. I live in Sarasota. 
and Sarasota is made up of a lot of very wealthy people and they tend to pass and their stuff gets auctioned off or estate sales. And I have picked up some amazing, wow. amazing pieces. Yeah. Hot tip. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's a hot tip for Sarasota. Yeah. Goodwill, you can buy Gucci and wow. oh yeah, I'm in an amazing place for thrifting. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I've never been there. I've been to Florida only world years ago. I lived in Miami for, well, from 1992 until 1999, so seven years. Absolutely loved Miami. Um, great place to be when you're young. I wouldn't move back there now. <laughs> oh, it's just, it, yeah, but Sarasota is a grin. I think the beauty of you and I, uh, like the career path we've chosen, like I've been working for myself for so long, is we can go anywhere really. And COVID even proved it more. That's hence why I'm leaving. It's like, I I mean, I love where I live, but I, I just want to engage with the world more. But we can do it from anywhere. I love that. And when I live in the States, I can travel anywhere more easily. Canada, it's, it's like money-wise, flights are so expensive. In the States, you can hop on a flight and go for a hundred bucks. Or, it's crazy. Yeah, it really is. It really is. So you didn't grow up in Canada. No, from Seattle. I was born in Olympia, actually lived in Seattle till I was 11. And then my parents got divorced and my mom's Canadian, my dad's American. So we moved to Canada. And I've been here ever since I did live in Arlington, Texas for two years. So uh, when my I had two kids before my daughter came along, I, I love Texas so much. I love the weather. I love heat. <laughs> I go to Arizona for vacation in August. I really <laughs> love the heat. Yeah, me too. Me too. I, yeah, but I like the humid heat. I am not, uh, yeah, Arizona, we spent a winter in, in Tucson when we were traveling in the RV and I loved it, but immediately got nosebleeds because it was too dry. Oh, so, I like the dry heat. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. There's a lot of people that do. I mean, and they say it's like really good for allergies. Um, I know the humidity is not. And Sarasota is horrible for allergies. It's like Houston. Reminds me, <laughs> much reminds me of Houston. Houston is very sticky. Yes, it is. Very much so. I think the only thing that's different between here and Houston, we're a little warmer than Houston during the winter time. And our waters are turquoise versus mm -hmm. the dark. So yeah, oh, they're gorgeous here. Absolutely beautiful. I've seen pictures. Yeah. Well, maybe you'll come down here. It's not too far and it's it, the flights aren't too expensive. I'm knowing more and more people there. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm amazed at, at how many people I've suddenly met that are, are here. So Seattle, I actually lived there when I was three, four, and five. So we moved there when I was three. So we were probably there at the same time. <laughs> yeah, actually. Yeah. I, I do like to visit there. I love Seattle. And my dad had a place on Bainbridge Island. And he also had a cabin at Cannon Beach, Oregon. So I, I love the West Coast. The Pacific Northwest is so, it's like a vibe where I live. It's a similar kind of feel. And I love it one year for my vacation because I do random things is I just drove down the West Coast by myself for a month and I stayed right on the coastline. It was great. It was so great. Oh, I'll bet. That sounds absolutely fabulous. Yeah, my daughter, Samantha, who's here, did some 
Alaska to Florida traveling for a while. She'd work in Alaska in the summer times and then Florida in the winter times. And she went to Oregon State. And so she stayed up there for six months just traveling around and checking it out because she just, yeah, she loves it up there too. Yeah. It's gorgeous. I love Portland. I ran the Portland Marathon. Did you really? Uh-huh. I did. What made you decide to do that? I was drunk with my friend. <laughs> and we were, I don't know, we were just talking about we should do something we'd never done before. And she's from Portland. And she's like, let's run the marathon. I'm like, sure. Sounds great. And we signed up that night while drinking and told too many people. And I'd never literally never run a block before, but I did it. And I ran, I've run two marathons and 17 half marathons. I don't run anymore. I blew my knee out and, and I actually never liked running ever, but I like the feeling of accomplishing. It's a really good metaphor for doing something new or having a big goal because maybe some people can just run 26.2 miles. But, you know, I just start out with walk, run, walk, run, and then up to the 26.2. And it's just real methodical planning. And I did it. I would never use the word addiction openly with my running because I, I raged every run. I never had the zone. I never got in the zone. But the addiction to the accomplishment and race day is so fun. Like there's often beer and, <laughs> and medals and t-shirts that mark the occasion. All my favorite things. Well, there you go. I'm more of a tattoo kind of girl. Yeah, I like tattoos. Yeah, I mark things with tattoos. I suppose the, um, the pain of accomplishment is somewhat similar. <laughs> I remember when I was young, very, very young, I decided that I was going to bench press 250 pounds. Holy. And yeah. So I worked for a year and I got there and I did 10 repetitions and I put it down 10 and I never did it again. Ever. Never. Uh-uh. That's how I feel about Kilimanjaro. Never do that again. But I get it. So I, I totally get it. You get this thing and you're like, I can do that. And, you know, it might take me two years, a year, six months, whatever, but I can do that. And once you've done it, once you've proven to yourself that you can, there's nothing you can't do. Even when that little voice comes in and says, you, what, who are you? Well, you can't do that. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I can pick up the, I can read a book. I can summarize. I have like good sort of intellectual abilities. But the challenges I take on are, are physical ones because I'm very, I feel very awkward and also sort of deep dives into my quiet self, like 10 day Vipassana silent retreat or ayahuasca journey runs, all that kind of stuff. Those things push me out of my comfort zone. I get really frightened and then I feel so empowered that, yeah, I can do anything. I did that. I don't get nervous to, I mean, I get anxious to speak on stage in a positive way because I care, but it's not something that I feel like, oh my gosh, this is scary. But going on a run or hike up a mountain or camping, I'd never, I had never like peed in the bushes before. And Kilimanjaro, it's guaranteed you're going to have to. Yeah. I had to practice. Yeah. Well, you do. I can remember as a kid, I was a campfire girl. So was I. Were you really? Oh my gosh. Nobody was ever a campfire girl. They were all Girl Scouts. Oh, that's awesome. My family camped 
and we had a camper. My grandmother was a rock hound. So spending time outside was just the norm. And I learned to pee in the bushes from the time I was a little kid. But I remember one time when I was out with my campfire troop and I was on the side of a hill and it didn't quite work out the way I wanted it to. And down I went. Yeah. Well, my fear wasn't that. Actually, my fear was peeing on my pant leg. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. you can only pack a very small amount of clothes for your nine days in trekking. And in my mind, I'm like, if I pee on my pant leg, I'm going to smell like pee and no one's going to want to be around me. Well, P.S., it's freaking frozen. So nobody cares. You're bundled up so much. And no, I never peed on my pant leg. I survived it. That's awesome. Yeah. It, <laughs> it was, but it's funny. I didn't concern myself with the whole hike of it all. And I remember flying from a place, Kelowna to Victoria to catch my flight to, I think I was going to Istanbul and then, I don't know, wherever Kilimanjaro is, somewhere in Africa. But the pilot said, we've now reached our cruising altitude of 19,500 feet. And I'm like, hold, wait a minute. That's how tall Mount Kilimanjaro is. And flying there was the first time I realized, what am I doing? Like I didn't even consider that it was a really tall mountain. I was concerned about peeing on my pant leg. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's like uh, something Lisa Nichols says, it's like standing on the edge of the Grand, Ca- Grand Canyon and all you can think about is like chocolate cake. I guess that's Pema Chodron. But it's like not being present to what is really going to happen. But maybe that saved me from backing out of it. But I, I was like, Jesus, that's high. Yeah, it is. And it is very high. For the record. Yes, that is very, very high. I have never been one to want to jump out of an airplane. I love to fly. I have always loved to fly. Um, just thought that was the, the greatest thing in the world. But to jump out of one just never made much sense to me. My daughter and my son both are have jumped out of airplanes. My son was a paratrooper. Oh. Yeah. I, um, however, have been parasailing. And... I'm cool with that. I'm also cool like going to see the Aspens where you jump off the side of a mountain with your parachute. I'm cool with that. That's a little too much. That's too much for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to, I, I don't really want to hide Kilimanjaro either. So. I mean, I didn't either. So <laughs> yeah, we have a, a 70 year old woman out of Pensacola who is currently working to go climb Kilimanjaro. Well, there's all ages and health and yes, you should prepare, but it's not an indicator if you're going to make it. It's really the altitude and how your body deals with it. Absolutely. Because it is different. It's completely different the you know, the higher you go. Yes. I learned that too. (laughs) I like to do the the parasailing and I like to do the diving. So I go either way. Yeah. Mm, Underwater, you mean? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I did that once. Yeah. Once. Oh, I would do it again. I but I I scuba dived in Dominican, which is one of the few countries at the time you could scuba dive without a license. Yeah. So yeah. I did it that way. And I do okay. not swim and I don't care for the water, but I did it anyway. It was an awesome experience. I thought, oh, I want to go get a scuba diving license or whatever you have uh-huh. to do. A certificate. Yep. Yeah. But I go, well, I actually don't really like the water. <laughs> <laughs> So why would I do that? And I, I snorkeled in Australia. It's gorgeous on the reef and all that. I thought it's good to float. And, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe one day I'll retry the diving because it's amazing feeling. 
It is. It absolutely is. It's just, it's an incredible world down there that we know so little about. I was lucky enough to be able to do that. And then I learned in a quarry in Ohio and that was spooky. You know, it's just these big holes full of water. (laughs) They told me about the granddad catfish and, you know, he's a really big catfish and you'll probably see him. I'm like, Oh, okay. You know, so I'm down there and all of a sudden there is this head of a fish that is bigger than I am. Really? Scared the bejesus out of me. Really? It was my, yes, this thing was huge and old and The crazy thing is my daughter at the time, she wasn't very old. She was maybe three or four, five at the tops when she was 16, 17, decided that she wanted to learn to dive and be certified. And I got the opportunity to actually go with her and certify her in the same quarry. Oh, wow. And that same damn fish was still there. Oh, wow. That's awesome. That's cool. You know, not only is the story interesting, but your daughter, kind of you getting to teach your daughter. And I like that. I like passing things along. And I've been so mindful lately of the things my mom has passed away, but how many things I learned from her as I see my last child leave home and the things that show up in Kennedy that were from my mom. I I really, that feels like a connection. And of course, our job is to not pass on the things that weren't so healthy, but the best we can, but I, I like that connection that you sort of full circle moment when you taught your daughter how to scuba dive with it. Yeah, it really was. Yeah. It was really amazing. You know, of course that's been quite a few years ago. I won't tell how old, well, I already told how old she is. So, <laughs> you know, but yeah, that was cool. Passing stuff on to our children is, is amazing, especially when it can be done in, in positive way. And you've talked about that a little bit with your business and leaving that legacy. We don't have a whole heck of a lot of time left, but if you want to quickly tell me a little bit about that. Like my legacy or? Yeah. Yeah. What's drawing you to the legacy part? I think for me turning 58 and seeing a path to quote, like slowing down in the next five years, I would like to be less attached to the day-to-day work, but it's also it's really living into a few of my favorite quotes. And one is leadership is not about being someone to lean on, but making the leaning unnecessary and passing the tools of building a business and commitment and working from integrity to my son, Carson, who will run the business. And I'm not attached to what he teaches so much as do it with integrity, hard work, honesty, and service. And he does that. And like, he might not want to teach what I leave behind, which is okay, but the legacy really is in the the passing on of the values. And also the other quote, you've heard me say it a million times, but you never touch someone so lightly, you do not leave a trace. So being really mindful of everything you do causes something to move. And I'm being very mindful of integrating that into my work. So people that come into contact with me understand how much of an impact they can have on someone that they might not even know just by their energy and by their, you know, saying thank you or paying for someone's coffee or little things and big things. I feel like that would be, if I was to be remembered in the best light, it would be for generosity and integrity and passing on sort of those values. Certainly I'm not perfect, right? I do 
like I have my own stuff that sneaks up and I go, well, there it is again. But I really do feel like when we put our heart and soul into that sort of those values, that's what people experience. Like you have experienced our collective value. And it's not because I tell people how to behave. It's because I set them free to do what they're great at. And, you know, there's a few things I won't tolerate, like manipulative selling, which we don't do and over deliver like there's there's things that we do that are just part of the culture so that's my legacy i love that i've got kind of three rules of my life and that is to give as much as i get or more to do it in love and to do it with respect and i see that in everything that you do you know and i so appreciate that you're welcome you know absolutely i thank you for being that authentic, real, not manipulative person that you are and and what you do when you, wow, you so deliver more than anything that is ever expected. And I am, I've just been amazed at at what you have accomplished and what you do. And And I love the name of your company. Massively Human is phenomenal. It really is. We are called to be massively human. We are. I thank you for being a part of my life and being a part of of my core in everything that I do. So thank you. Well, I know we're wrapping, but I want you to know this. Like I felt that connection to you from the first time I saw you in the BTS training room. You have were a values match because of that place we come from. And I don't think it's really the form of what we do that matters. It's more the function. And that's why it doesn't matter what Carson does with the company because the form is whatever, but it's, it's that function that we serve. And I think that's the place where you come from, which is why I think we connect. So thank you for letting me talk about whatever for almost an hour. That was fun. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> and I would love to do it anytime. Anytime. So, you know, I'll come back. Yeah. Oh, you bet. Absolutely. Thank you. And have a great day. I will. Thank you. Take this as uh, our goodbye right now. And we'll be back again next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Roar with Sparks. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please share it with a friend. And of course, rate, review, subscribe on your favorite podcast player. We can be reached at www.wrarinc.com. Thank you again, and we can't wait to see you here next week. How loud is your roar?